Well, I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning or your Bible journals, if you have those with you today, to Colossians chapter 1. It's page 76 in the prayer journal or Bible journal that we have there. And we're beginning to walk through the book of Colossians. You know, this fall we have been in Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. Now we're continuing on to Colossians, which will tell you that by the end of the year that we will have covered in entirety, verse by verse, at least five books of the New Testament. And we're going to continue walking through this journey. And uh, in January, we're going to start walking through the Gospels. And, and we're going to keep on going. And our goal is in the next few years that we're going to cover all 66 books of the Bible, verse by verse, word by word, so that we can have a true understanding of what the Word of God says. We know that in our culture today, in this world today, if we do not have a strong basis, a strong foundation, a, a leaning into, a love for, and a, a holding on to the Word of God, we know that we can read in the Scriptures that, that we will be blown about by every wind of doctrine, and we do not want that to happen. We want this church to be a place that understands God's word, that loves God's word, that can dig into God's word and be able to share God's word. That's who we want this church to be. And that is what God wants this church to be. And so today we're going to continue in this study. Uh, we've entitled this series all through the fall, Jesus First. And, and even though all of the passages that we've talked about uh, have had a clear statement of Jesus being supreme, of Jesus being deity, of Jesus being divine. This passage today, this chapter today in Colossians chapter 1, ultimately really is kind of the, the seminal passage, if you will, for that statement, Jesus first. It talks about the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It talks about who he is. Now, as in a lot of Paul's writings, Obviously, this letter that was written to the church at Colossae, a church that he never visited, a church that was uh, planted by Epaphras, probably pastored by Philemon. Uh, it was a church he never had the opportunity of visiting, but he wrote this letter because he had heard such great things about what God was doing there. But again, like in most of his letters and most of his writings, he is warning them about what is taking place. He's letting them know that there are people who want to stop you. There are people who want to keep your church from thriving. There are people who want you to start allowing doctrine into your church that will challenge the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will ultimately destroy your church. And so I say that because I want us to understand and recognize that like nothing is different than it was 2,000 years ago. That there are people even today who clearly want us, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ today in 2023, that they want us to begin to change what we believe, to change our doctrinal foundations, to, to, to allow things to start seeping into our churches that will challenge the word of God. I saw a post this week that uh, someone showed me on Twitter where someone was, was complaining because they were saying that that, that someone said that Jesus had, had condemned something or Jesus had said something in the scripture. And this person was challenging that statement by saying, yeah, they always say that Jesus said this, but, but Jesus didn't say that. Paul said that. And, and they talk about Peter said that. 
And what they're doing is when they're making that kind of a statement, they're saying, well, those weren't the words of Christ. They were the words of Paul. Anytime that you challenge the words of Paul, the words of Peter, you're challenging the word of God. You're challenging the fact that it is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. And if you begin to challenge the word of God, then you might as well take the entirety of the word of God and toss it out the window because it has no value whatsoever. Because if we can't believe every word, we can't believe any word. And so we have to recognize and understand that the word of God is his word. And there are people today that want to kind of push into the church a changing doctrine, a a changing belief system, most likely and usually because they want to justify their own lifestyle, justify what they're doing, justify what they want to be true. And we've heard this statement over and over again. We're talking about people saying, you know, well, my truth or your truth or our truth. There is no your truth, my truth, our truth. There is just truth. And so understanding that there is just truth and we have to anchor it to something. And we can't anchor it to any political ideology. We can't anchor it to Republicans and we can't anchor it to Democrats. We can't anchor it to this group or that group. We have to anchor it to the only thing that is perfect, the only thing that is absolutely ultimately true, and that is the word of God. And that is what Paul is writing here to the church of Colossae to make sure that they understand. He's writing this from prison like the other prison epistles. He's making this statement. He wants them to see and to understand like like clearly. Hey, guys, there are people who want to destroy what you love. Now, I want to abridge that, change that, adjust that for our purposes here today and to say this to you, Thomas Rowe Baptist Church members and guests that we have with us today, there are people who want to destroy what you love. There are people who want to destroy this church. There are people who want to destroy your faith. There are people who want you to believe things that, that are outside of the word of God, that, but they want us to reach out and to wrap our arms around different ideologies, different beliefs, different thoughts, so that we can be more inclusive, so that we can be more accepting. And listen, I'm all for accepting everyone. Jesus himself told us to do that. I'm all for being inclusive, man. We want everyone to be a part of this church. What I am not for is dismissing the truth of the gospel and dismissing the inerrancy of the word of God because when we do that, we lose everything. And so that's what Paul is writing. That's what he's stating in this passage. And so let's walk through, if we'll, now again, the attack that was going on here was an attack on the deity of Christ. There were messages that were seeping in, messages that were coming into the church that were challenging that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God. Like in a lot of Paul's writings and other places in Scripture, it's, a, it's kind of this idea of Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which was this strange dualistic belief that they had back in those days, that, they were, that there was the holy and then the unholy, that the, the material world was something of, that was evil, that was not uh, ultimately good, was not created by supreme God but rather was created by things that were created by God. There was this kind of this idea uh, that they had back in this time that that there is a supreme being, there is this this, this absolute supreme being of God who is perfect, who is loving, who is all the things that we know God to be, but yet that that God, and they they had this this language for it, this demiurge language where, where God created a being, and then that being created another being, and then that being created another being, and we just keep going down further and further and further and further to eventually 
the creator of the universe. And so in other words, it wasn't created by God, it was created by a creation of God. And so by this, this, this strange way of thinking it through, this mystical way of thinking through, they were challenging the deity of Christ, challenging the Trinitarian view of God, that, that Jesus was not the son of God. And this is where today we get kind of dualistic approaches in, in different religions. In fact, the universalist churches that we see, there are a couple here, one at least in Lynchburg here, that they would believe that, that Jesus is not the son of God, that he is not the triune God. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would hold to that same view, that Jesus is not the triune God. And, and so what they do is they challenge the deity of Jesus Christ. And so Paul recognizes this, and he wants to warn this church that was doing a lot of great things. I mean, they were really doing incredible things, and they were growing in their faith. It was a healthy church, but a church under attack. So I say all of that by way of introduction so that you'll have a, a view of, a picture of, that while things have changed dramatically through the years, the more it stayed the same. Because today there is really no difference in what the church was under attack then and the church is under attack now. So let's go to this passage, Colossians chapter one, and I've broken it down kind of into five different thoughts, five different ideas here that, uh, that we can see in this passage. Again, page 76, if you will. Uh, in your Bible journal, if you have that. Now, here's what I want you to do now. I want, you to, I want to warn you ahead of time. I want you to find a pen, a pencil. Uh, if you're taking notes on a phone or an iPad, get ready because there are a couple of places in this passage where I'm going to point out to you some checklist items. Uh, I'm going to have you uh, highlight, uh, underline, or maybe write out some statements that we're going to read in this passage that I think are important, critical for every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ to have this in their own arsenal, in their own uh, weaponry, in their own lives, to make sure that they know, like, this is what I must do. This is what I must know. This is what I must hold on to. And so in chapter 1, verse 1, he starts it with just a simple greeting, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, that verse, like in a lot of other places that Paul writes, is not only a greeting, it's also a declaration of authority. It's making sure that everyone who reads this letter understands that this is not written by a friend, it's not written by a coworker, it's not written by some really smart dude. It is written by an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who is, has the authority of God's hand upon him. And so you'll understand that, that the fact that he makes that statement right out of the gate, now we move into the passage where we see why that, that declaration of authority is so very, very important. So he goes on to say this in verse two as we begin to see the marks of the believer. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints. Now here in these first few verses here, we, we have a picture of the marks of the believer. Now understand, every person in this room, I, I pray, I know there may be some who are not, and I pray that by the end of our gathering today, you will be, but that everyone in this room is a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I hope that, I pray that. If not, uh, I'm gonna pray for you. We prayed for you a moment ago that today before you leave here, you will be. And understanding that, we have to understand kind of like the nature of what that looks like. 
Like in other words, if you're going to be, you know, a believer, there should be some characteristics. There should be some identifying marks in your life, in your journey. If you happen to watch college football yesterday, you'll notice that there's always two teams on the field and they don't wear the same uniforms because that would get confusing, right? One team always wears one uniform and the other wears a different color uniform so you know which team to pull for. And so that's the same idea here is we need to have identifying marks of the believer. And here in these first few verses, the identifying marks that we get is the faithfulness to Christ. The statement that Paul says, listen, man, I'm praying for you. Man, I'm so excited about what you're doing. I'm so excited about what God is doing in your midst. And I've heard about all the things that are happening. The remembering that he's never visited there. And he says this, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of the saints. Those are marks of the believers and you ought to underline those and circle those in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you ought to write it down or type it into your phone. A mark of the believer, your faithfulness to Christ. And here's what it is. Your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of the saints. That is an underlying and a first step in following Jesus Christ. A love of and a belief in and a faith in Christ Jesus is the first step to being a believer, to being a follower of Christ. And the second is, as Jesus said, to love all the saints. That you love everyone. In other words, the picture here goes back to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus said, the most important commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so marks of the believer. Here it is, right here in this first couple of verses that Paul says, your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for the saints. So that's your first checklist. You ought to highlight, circle, underline, write there in your Bible. Now, he goes on here to make sure that, that, that here, this, this statement that he's giving here, it's clear that, that he wants everyone to understand like, that he's attacking, that he is pushing back against that, that Gnostic way of thinking, that, that Gnosticism that was seeping in to try to destroy the church. And so right out of the gate, faithfulness to Christ is a mark for the believer. But then he gives a second mark of the believer, and that is faithfulness to God's word. Look what it says in verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Underline that statement, heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since this day you heard and know the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, the one who planted this church, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Here, a clear statement. That he understands, like you're, you're walking with God, you, you love God, you have faith in Christ Jesus, you love the saints, and here, now that you have heard this and you love this of the hope that is found for you in heaven, which comes from the word of the truth of the gospel. It comes through the word of God. If you do not have a love for the word of God, you will never grow in your faith. You will never take the next step and the next step and the next step in your faith journey if you do not have a longing for, a yearning for, and a love for the Word of God. If the Word of God is nothing more to you than something you set on a shelf or a decoration in your home or something you pull off every once in a while to dust off, if that is what the Word of God is in your life, you will never grow in your faith. And so he makes it very clear. 
the word of the truth of the gospel. Now he says here in verse 6, which has come to you as it has also in all the world. That's a, it's an interesting statement because, again, this was not 2023. This was in the early, uh, early 60s A.D. There was no Internet. There was no television. There was no radio. Uh, they didn't have the opportunity. Paul didn't have the opportunity like I'm doing right now of speaking on a stage here in Lynchburg. And these cameras that you see all over the room are taking this message out around the world. I got a text just a few moments ago from Tony Bird. And Tony is sitting out in, in Montana with his daughter, Sarah. And they're watching this service along with their family right there. And by the way, family, I want you to know, because they told me last week, he's all, whenever he's not here and he's watching, he's watching to make sure that you guys show up on time. Okay, I just want you to know. He's taking role even though he's not here. And so they're sitting there watching this service right now. There are people all over the world watching this service right now. Paul didn't have that that luxury. He didn't have that opportunity. And so he says that this message has gone all over the world. How is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. Because in the Roman Empire, when the apostles were preaching and that message was heard, people heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and were so riveted by it, so changed by it, so transformed by it, that they ran to tell people. And that's how this message began to carry all over the world and go out throughout all of the Roman Empire and travel from place to place. It's how a church in Colossae gets started and planted, even though Paul himself had not visited. It's because the message cannot be contained The same is true today, or should I say, the same should be true today. The same should be true today. That the message of the gospel in your life is so powerful and so impactful and so encouraging and so inspiring that you can't keep it in. And that's what Paul talks about here as a mark of the believer. And so he gives us the faithfulness to Christ. He gives us the second mark, the faithfulness to his word. But then he gives us the third mark, and that's faithfulness to his work. Look what he says in verse 9. And for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, here we are. Get your pens ready. Okay, we're going to underline, we're going to circle, we're going to highlight, whatever it might be, this checklist that is given here that as we, the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, these are things that must be present. And it starts there in verse 9. When Paul says this, that he's praying that you would be, and here it is, underline, highlight, circle, filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, that word knowledge is the Greek word epignosis, which literally means this, like a a correct and a precise and a deep understanding of a topic. Now, in other places in Scripture, you'll see the word knowledge or know, and it's a different word. It's, it's the word uh, gnosis, uh, where we get Gnosticism, this idea of special, you know, of knowledge that comes, just an awareness of. But here, uh, the word is epignosis, which literally means like, like a deeper and a precise, more correct understanding. 
And so what Paul is praying is I'm praying that you will battle against what the world is trying to tell you is real and that you will know what is actually real, that you will have a precise and a deep and a concise, a correct interpretation of who God is and who Christ is, that you will have that precise knowledge. And it does not come except through the word of God of understanding that that we will have this idea of being filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, it goes on to say here, and here's what I'm gonna give you this little eight-point checklist here, this eight-point statement that Paul gives to us in the very next uh, verse, in verse 10, and here it is, number one, that you may walk worthy. Put a number one there, circle it, highlight, that you may walk worthy. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ have a responsibility to walk worthy of the gospel. That means this, our, our walk and our actions and what we do, that does not save us. But once we are saved, it better change how we walk and how we act. That there better be a reaction to what God has done through his son Jesus Christ in saving us. That once he saves us, then we better act different. That we walk worthy of this message of the gospel. That's number one. The second one in this checklist, that we are uh, fully pleasing him. How do we fully please God? That's number two. How do we fully please God? We do what God has told us to do. How do we know what God has told us to do? We spend time in his word and we spend time in talking with him, of seeking out the will of God for our lives. Every person in this room is a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what I know. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the works that he prepared for you before time began. Everyone here, God has a plan for you. God has a calling on your life. God has a work for you. God has uniquely gifted you so you can actually do what he has called you to do. But you cannot find out what it is that God wants you to do and what he has called you to do unless you are reading the book that he wrote to give to you what he has called you to do and talking with him so you'll understand. Now over here in this part of the room here, there are a lot of young people, young adults that are part of our young adult ministry, right guys? Raise your hand if you're part of our young adult ministry over here. A lot of them over here. Yeah. And so a lot of them, most of them are single, right? Am I right about that? And, and, and they're all kind of walking through this season of life where they're, you know, they're kind of interested in, you know, girls, guys, and guys, girls, and, and you're interested in this kind of this idea of like, hmm, yeah, she, you know, she's cute, or man, he, he's a cute guy. And, and so they, they have this idea that they begin these conversations, right? And eventually they might ask one of them out on a date, and, and they want to begin to spend time with them, right? And so what I do know about this, because I've been through this myself many, many years ago, is that when you get to that place and you start dating someone, you start walking down that, that relationship building thing, that if you stop talking to one another as you begin dating and you never talk to one another, here's what I can guarantee you. You will never actually go further in that relationship. It will not end up being a healthy relationship if you never talk. Am I right about that? Now, guys, I know some of us are like, man, I'd like to not talk as much. I get that. But when it comes right down to it, in order for us to get to know that person better and know what God's design and desire is in that relationship is that we have to to actually talk with one another. The same is true, what God is saying here through his word, to fully please God, we have to be in God's word and talking to him. That's number two in this checklist. Let's keep reading. Number three in the checklist. 
Keep reading in this passage. Fully pleasing him is number two. Third one, being fruitful in every good work. In other words, this is a statement that faith without works is dead. Works doesn't save us, but once we are saved, we actually need to start doing for God. And it tells us here that we are to be fruitful. Every follower of Jesus Christ has a calling of God on us to do things for him. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 1, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He has put that on every single one of us. It is our calling and it is our responsibility to be fruitful in every good work. That's number three. Number four, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And there's that word again, epignosis. How do we increase in the knowledge of God? Well, we're doing part of that right here today. We're digging into God's word. We're learning about God's word. We're learning about him. But it cannot stop here. If all you ever do in growing and increasing in the knowledge of God is what you do in an hour on a Sunday morning in church, you are not increasing in the knowledge of God. You're checking a box. If this is the only place that you're digging into God's word, all you're really doing is making yourself feel good. You're not going deeper. You're not becoming what God intended for you to become. This is part of it, absolutely. Do not hear me. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that church is not important. Church is absolutely important. But church is not the end game. Church is just part of the game. That we have a personal responsibility every single day to increase in the knowledge of God. That's number four. Number five. And be strengthened with all might. God wants you to be strengthened in your faith. There are people sitting here today. Some maybe watching or listening. You say, you know what, amen, in my faith journey, I don't feel real, I feel weak. I don't feel very strong. I don't feel like I've really got it together. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get there. I understand that. I get that. But here's what I want you to know. It's not because God has let down on his side of the bargain. It's not because God is not fulfilling his call and his responsibility on your life. If you feel weak in your faith, it most likely is because you are not going the extra mile in increasing in the knowledge of God. God wants you to be strong in your faith. The way to be strong in your faith is to go the next step. And you say, wait a minute, what do I do after I go the next step? This is easy. You ready? You go the next step. Oh, wait, and wait. And then when you get that step, what do you do next? Say it with me. Go the next step. In other words, if you're breathing, you better continue to walk in steps towards God. If you're not breathing, hey, okay. If you're dead, you're done. But if you're not dead, you're not done. Strengthened with all might. That's number five. Number six, with all patience and long suffering. And we've talked about that a lot during this series. We've talked about how to, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of difficulties and challenges, and that, that we have patience. We understand, like, like God wants us in this for the, for the long game, not for the short game. We talked about that in Philippians chapter 3. Charles talked about it last week. Philippians chapter 4. Patience, long suffering. Here's the next one. Number seven. With joy. Underline, highlight. With joy. In other words, like recognizing, man, that no matter what, no matter how tough it is, that I can still have joy in my life. And then number eight, and giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father is the eighth. So what do we do? That's worship. 
That's recognize and understand every day of your life you are here to bring honor and glory to God and God alone. You are never here to bring honor and glory to self. You are here to bring honor and glory to God. And I know that's true because if you go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, it says this, that anyone who has pride is an abomination to the Lord. That's not what God desires for you. So there's our checklist of what it looks like to be a believer, the marks of the believer. So there it is. We've talked about it there, the faithfulness to Christ, the faithfulness to his word, the faithfulness to his work. That's the marks of the believer. And the marks of the believer should always lead us back to this idea we just talked about worship. And that brings us to the object of our worship, which is Christ. Look what it says in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, in reading those verses, what's one thing that we can kind of walk out of after reading those verses that Paul wants to make clear? Do you think maybe Paul wants to make it clear that Jesus is not just a created being, that he's not just a man, that he is God? You, you heard what we just read together, right? I mean, I think when you read this, and certainly this is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture to talk about the, the supremacy of Christ, the deity of Christ. Like, man, he makes it very clear. He goes over and over and over and over. Like, Jesus is not some created being. He is not what the Gnostics believe, that he was a creation of a creation of a creation of a creation. He is the Son of God. And if you ever have a conversation or an opportunity of talking with people from other religions who talk about Jesus being a good man and a good teacher and a good model and a good example and someone that we can learn from. Anytime you have a conversation with someone from another religion who talks about, well, you know, yeah, Jesus was a, he was a good guy. He was, he did good, really good things. And, and maybe even, yeah, I, I think he could, you know, he, he performed miracles. Yeah, I believe. That. Oh, and maybe, yeah, he even rose from the dead. But if they do not believe that he is the son of God, a God, a very God, if they don't believe that, then that religion is not a religion, it's a cult. It is not real. It is false. Because anytime you do not believe in the supremacy and the deity of Jesus Christ, it is a waste of time because he is God. In verse 15, it talks about he is the um, image of God. That he is the image, the visible image of an invisible God. How is that even possible? If I took a camera today and took a picture of a blank white wall, thinking that I was taking the picture of like the eagle that I showed you a couple of weeks ago, and I took a picture of a white wall, and then we, we looked at that image afterwards on a computer screen, there would be no eagle in that picture because I took a picture of something that was invisible. It wasn't there, right? And so you wait a minute, then how can Jesus be the image, the visible image of an invisible God? Because he is God. And when he came in flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, when he came down from heaven and allowed himself to put on flesh to become 100% man while being 100% God, that in that instance, for the first time in all of history, what was invisible was now visible. Why? Because he is God. Paul says that Jesus was the visible image of an invisible God. Verse 16, it says that he is creator, that everything is under his rule. It would be impossible for Jesus to be creator if he was created. 
How could he have created everything that there is if he was one that was created by created by created some being as the Gnostics were trying to, to say? Clearly, Paul says, no, 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 he is creator. All things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Now, what does that tell us, that statement? Underline that, all things were created through him and for him. What does that tell us? It tells us two very important things. Number one, that there's not a thing on the face of the earth that was not created by him. Everything. Go look at the Grand Canyon. That didn't happen by happenstance. God created it. Walk out of here today, you look up at the mountains that are around here, the Blue Ridge Mountains out to the west. Did they happen? Did it just somehow come into existence by some big bang theory? No, it happened because God created it. Everything that there is was created by Jesus. Jesus created, everything was created through him. But then the second part was created for him. Have you ever looked in the mirror and asked yourself like, why am I here? Like, what's the point of life? What is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? Hey, let me make this real clear. You were created for him. Your existence, the reason you walk on the face of the earth, the reason that you breathe in air, the reason that you are alive today is not so that you can be successful in business. It's not so that you can go out and make a lot of money. It's not so you can have a nice house or a nice car. It's not that you can have uh, lots of friends. It's not that you can go out and, and party. It's not so you can figure out how, what to do and do business. You are not here for all of those things while all of those things are fine. You are here for him means that everything that you do, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you make money or whether you're in business or whether you teach or whether you're in school, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God, period. And that is what we're here for. Everything was created through him, but everything was created for him. Don't you ever ask yourself the question, why are you here? Because God's word, the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, just told you why you're here. You are here for him. And that is what we're here to do, to bring honor and glory to him in everything. Verse 17 goes on to say he is supreme over everything. It says that all things consist through him. All things consist through him. That Greek word there, synistomai, which literally means like, like glue. It means to, to set it in place and hold it together. It's like saying that Jesus literally is like the super glue in our culture, in our world. That if Jesus did not exist, everything would fall apart. If Jesus was not here, alive today, if he wasn't here before anything was created, and if he would not be here after everything is over, if Jesus did not exist, then everything that, is, that we experience today, it would all fall apart. Everything would fall. We would not be here. It is held together by Christ. You've all heard that song, that old, old song. You know, he's got the whole world, right? You know, right? in his hand, right? Yeah, that's the picture. I know, I know, I'm, I'm not Charles. You know, a little show off Charles. I can preach and sing. Okay, so... <laughs> But Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. And so we recognize and understand these people who are saying, no, Jesus is just a man. He's just a good teacher. He's a good example. He's someone we can learn from. All of that's true. But if that's all you believe about Jesus and your life is based on lies, Jesus is God. 
period. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. Verse 18, it goes on to say that he is the firstborn from the dead. What does that tell us? It means it's this, is that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Confucius, dead. All of them, Joseph Smith, dead. They're all dead. They're all gone. They'll never come back. Jesus is alive. And Paul makes it clear. The supremacy, the deity of Jesus Christ, like you've got to stand on that truth. He is the object of our worship. And if he's the object of our worship, then Paul goes on to say that if he's the object of our worship, then certainly he's the source of our hope. And what is the source of our hope? The cross. Look what it says in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile, reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It pleased God that Jesus, the son of God, came to this earth and put on flesh. But yet it pleased God that even when Jesus was here, all the fullness of God was in him. And that while he was here, the purpose that he was here, the reason he came is to go to the cross. Why? So that he can reconcile us all to him. That through his blood, the blood of the cross, that that is how we are made right with God. Because it does not happen by anything that you do. There are world religions today that will tell you you've got to balance out the good and the bad. That you've got to make sure that you have at the end of the day more good than you have bad if you're planning on going to heaven. Well, here's what I want to tell you. I don't care about your good and I don't care about your bad. What I care about is do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross and he was buried and that he rose again? And if you believe that, then anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it does not matter what you've done or what you will do. It's all about Jesus. Our hope is the cross. That is the source of our hope. And that's the message that Paul wants them to understand. It has nothing to do with what you've done. And if that's true, then he brings us to the next verse in 21. The promise of that gift that was given through Jesus Christ is reconciliation. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. In his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You ought to underline that statement. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind. There's not a person who's hearing my voice right now that at one point in your life that you were not alienated from God and that you were an enemy from God. Everyone was that. You were alienated from God and you were an enemy of God. Every single one of you, all of you were separated from God because of your sin. All of you had no hope whatsoever. All of you were headed down the path that would lead to eternal separation from God. Every single one of you. But this passage says, but yet now he, God, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Does that mean you're holy? No, but it means because of the blood of Jesus Christ before God, you've been declared holy. Does it mean you're blameless? No, 
but it means because of the blood of Jesus Christ that you have been declared blameless before God. Does it mean you're all above reproach? No, but it does mean that before God, because of what Christ has done, the blood of Jesus Christ, that you have been declared above reproach before God. You who were once dead in your sin have been made right by Christ, that we've been reconciled to him. And so if that's true, then the last part of this passage, Paul gives us a glimpse then of what's what's ahead. And that's the riches of his glory. And what are the riches of his glory? It's represented in Christ in us. Verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What are the key statements in this passage? He talks about the mystery. What was the mystery? The mystery was that, that before, time, before this period of time, that this message of hope was only allowed to go to the Jewish people, the people of God. But then, yet here now, this mystery has been made available to everyone, made available to the Gentiles, and that's good news. And you know why that's good news? Because probably 99.9% of the people in this room are Gentiles. That's who we are. That's what we are. Yes, I know there might be some Jewish people in here. That's awesome. That's great. And, and man, you are blessed. And today we continue to pray for the Jewish people. We continue to pray for Israel and what they're facing and what they're going through. We stand with Israel. But I'm so grateful that God said that this mystery has now been available to all. Because if it's not been made available to all, then all of us are without hope. The message of the gospel is available to everyone. And so then it goes on to say, verse 28, him we preach. Underline that statement, circle it, highlight it. Him we preach. Because every person in this room has been called by God to be a representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a witness for the message of the gospel. And it doesn't matter if you're in the young adult ministry or the senior adult ministry. Doesn't matter if you're in the choir or in the nursery. Doesn't matter if you're part of our deaf ministry or or if you're part of our, our intercultural ministry. Doesn't matter what country that you come from, what flag represents your homeland, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're part of a, a sports team or, or, or whether you're part of the debate team. Doesn't matter if you're a, an educator or a business person. Doesn't matter if you're a politician or a preacher. It doesn't matter what you do, and it doesn't matter what your age, and it doesn't matter what your background, and it does not matter what your skin color. Every single one of us has been called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Him we preach. Why? Because without that, there is no hope. The world would tell you there are lots of ways to heaven. The world is wrong. The world would tell you 
that it doesn't matter really how you live as long as you're sincere. The world is wrong. The world will tell you that you can change what you believe about basic foundational doctrines of the word of God. The world is wrong. The world might tell you that what was truth today is really not truth because what's more important is your truth. The world is wrong. The world might say that Jesus was a great example. The world would be wrong if they did not also say that he is the son of God. The world would be wrong. And as for me and my house, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the message that gives to each and every one of us the hope that we need that comes from Colossians chapter one, that Jesus is enough. But God, I pray that while we know and understand that Jesus is enough, I pray that we also would recognize we must put Jesus first. God, if there's someone here today that has never come to that place in their own journey where they've trusted you as Lord and Savior, let this be the day. Let this be the day. Let this be the day. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is going to gather here at the front. We do this every week. After the service, they're here. They'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you, love to, to, to take it one step further. They would love to do that. But, but here's what I want to do right now is I just want to pray a prayer with a group of people in this room that might be here, and I don't know if you are. They might be watching. They might be listening. They might be in Africa or Asia. They might be in Brazil or Portugal or Bolivia. They might be right here in Lynchburg sitting by their TV. Or they might be sitting next to you right here in this room. That maybe you believed all the things the world would have you believe about religion and maybe you believed all the things the world would have you believe about Jesus. But the one thing you have not believed is that Jesus is the son of God who came to this world and that he died on the cross for your sins. That God demonstrated his love towards you and that while you were still a sinner, that Christ died for you. That he died and that he rose again three days later. And according to God's word, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that if we believe that he died and rose again, that anyone, anyone, and today that anyone might be you, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And as I pray this prayer, if you're seated here or watching or listening and you have never believed that Jesus is God's son, that he died and rose again, as I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you, as we've heard today from God's word, who Jesus is and what he's done, that the only way you can be made right with God, to have the promise and the hope of eternity in heaven rather than eternity in hell, is to believe in Jesus Christ. We've heard that today from God's word, not from a preacher, from God's word. And today, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never believed, turned from your sin and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, as I pray this prayer, I'm going to invite you, encourage you, challenge you, pray that you will, that you will pray this prayer silently along with me here this morning. To pray from your heart to God's right here in this room. 
So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've blown it over and over again. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he came and died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again for me. So today, Father, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life. As you strengthen me to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, no one looking around. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart to God's in this room today, with no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up so I can see it? Because I want to pray for you. Just wherever you are in this room, if you prayed that prayer, just slip it up. I see three in the back over here. Just, just slip your hand up so I can see. There's one, another one, four. Any, any others? Just slip your hand up. Right down here, five. Awesome. Any others? Any others? God, I thank you for these hands that have been raised today. God, I don't know the story, but I know that you do. And God, we rejoice today because today there are individuals, at least five, that I saw their hands, that today, while they were alienated from you when they walked in, that they're going to leave here today as new creations because of Christ. God, we're so, so grateful. Thank you. God, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that we would lean into the checklist that we walk through today, that we would become all that you intend, that we would live the way you want us to live. God, I pray, help us to be what you want us to be, to recognize who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he wants to continue to do day by day in our lives. And God, for that, we give you praise, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, friends, if you prayed that prayer, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to have the opportunity of connecting with you. Just come on down. If you want to come down for any other reason, we'd love to talk with you. God bless you guys. Don't forget to stop by the different organizations out in the lobby today, admissions organizations. Talk with our team about getting involved. And for next Sunday, read Colossians chapter 2 before you come back. God bless you, and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.